Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. If you're listening on podcasts, we're also uh, over on our YouTube channel, The Sawala Adelies. And we're on video if you want to see our lovely little faces. Should we call it Agonising Aunt? (laughs) Agonising Aunt and Uncle. Oh my God, just reading through all your your, um, messages and... Oh, I don't know. My heart just aches. There's so much, so much suffering out there, yeah, isn't there? Is. Right. We are going to kick off straight away. Mark, this one is very much skewed to you. Mm. And um, this person would like to stay anonymous. Okay. And it's a really interesting one, actually. It's quite com- complex, I think. Right. Especially because of the ages within it. So, right. Okay. I'm 24 and have found out my boyfriend struggles with sex and weed addictions and cheated on me once with a stranger from Tinder. I immediately broke up with him. We'd been long distance for a year, friends at uni before then, so I couldn't really spot the red flags of his porn addiction. He'd never told anyone about this or his weed addiction before me and realises now it stems from his childhood trauma and being bullied at school for not being the macho guy. I think realising the hurt he has caused me has made him look at himself properly. He's 22, which gives me hope he can change as I was also his first girlfriend. And now he's in therapy, a 12-step program and mediation. I've had long-term partners before, but he is the kindest boyfriend I've ever had. And I can't help feeling that this black and white way we look and advise on cheating is unhelpful when the person is an addict. He was a great boyfriend throughout and we had a great bond. He says he cheated as a way to try and expel all his disturbed thoughts about sex, thinking this would make them go away and so we could become more serious. As we were thinking of moving in together and realises now how wrong that was and he never wanted us to break up. I'm really interested in what Mark thinks about this as I've listened to your How to Stay Married podcast and think how far he has come since previous behaviour in his relationships. Now my ex is getting proper help, I'll always wonder what could have been if I completely walk away from us. He says he wants to be celibate for a year and prove to me how much he has changed uh, to be with me again. Yet all my friends say he's disgusting and I shouldn't waste my 20s waiting for him. My therapist also says he may never be able to look at me again without feeling guilty. But I'm finding it really hard to give up hope that we can't be together one day. And as I love him so much and really don't believe he is a toxic person, I wonder if a relationship can truly be good again and maybe even more honest and connected following this especially as he's being much more honest and open to me about his issues than he's ever been before. So, of course, this is an absolutely brilliant one for Mark. I suppose and for me, because we've been through something similar, though not exact. First of all, I want to say, um, I'm so pleased that you're seeing a counsellor. You know, Mark and I always say we are not professionals in any way. We're just people who've been through some shit together. Mm. And we are the people that come to have a chat through things when they're struggling. Mm. And that's very much our tone because it's very important we don't directly advise um, just so that people are kept safe. But, yeah, 
I'm glad you're seeing a counsellor, but what I would first like to say, I find it a bit odd that a counsellor would say he will never be able to look at you again without feeling guilty. I just find that a bit strange because I, I think we can never know completely the way somebody's going to turn out, can we, Mark? And I think that can be something, taking it away from that particular counsellor, about the way that people think of addicts. You know, I think people can just get a completely bad name forever. And that makes me sad because a lot of people do work very hard at trying to evolve and change that. I also agree that sometimes this black and white way of looking at cheating, the only thing you must ever do is leave, isn't always right up either. Because not everyone that cheats is just a dirty rat. There's lots of different reasons. But I remember, Mark, when you were in rehab, saying that you were just totally fascinated by the sex addiction people in there. Well, you? yeah, no, I mean, not in a sort of prurient fashion. No, I mean, of course I was, not. Oh, no, 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 but, but I mean, also not in a sort of specimen fashion. No. Either. I mean, Christ, we're five minutes in, and that is an enormous amount of sort of complexity to kind of navigate and, and move through with so many different divergent kind of thoughts, ideas, interpretations, and then, Nadia, you've kind of thrown on top of that kind of, you know, your own sort of assessment of certain parts of it. There, you know, sex addiction, I think one of the problems with any addiction is that there is a victim in the person who's the addict and the addiction selfishly destroys or affects and impacts everyone around them. And so that's why addiction in most of its forms has, you know, very little tolerance or very little understanding. I mean, there's more so. And obviously, if you're, if you're moving in circles of recovery and 12-step programs and rehab and what have you, then there's more tolerance and language around it. But you, you'd be surprised by how little language there is around this stuff when you're outside a family mm. like this. I mean, if I think back to when I went into rehab, you know, I think back to some of the thought processes and attitudes I had to alcohol and other people who did drink and didn't drink. I mean, I was, I was nowhere near where we are now in terms of understanding mm. it. So, yes, early in my days trying to understand what alcohol addiction and drug addiction was for me, I did come across uh, two people, but one person specifically, who was struggling uh, with sex addiction and was, was in rehab with me. And one of the things that really struck me about them was we were all in our various forms of agony, but he, if, if this can be even said, because it's not comparative and it doesn't show, you know, it doesn't demonstrate itself in someone's demeanor or how they present themselves in a sort of qualified, you know, you can't, quali you can't quantify it like that. But my instinct and my impression of him was that he was in a lot more agony, turmoil, irresolvable turmoil that didn't seem to have the suggestion of answers. Mm. than anyone else in there. Mm. Uh, and, and he was, you know, he, going into the details of his addiction, you know, he had got to the point where he couldn't leave his house or his home. He couldn't stop having sex with sex workers. He couldn't stop masturbating constantly. He couldn't stop watching porn. He could, you know, and this was, this was in the time where it really it wasn't a, even as prevalent as it is now mm. to be able to access it. And it struck me, that, and yet there was something about sex addiction that was almost a sort of there was a purity if such a word could be used it kind of it it sort of stripped back all of our issues down to an essential addiction and sex addiction is about connection and it bleeds into codependency and i've been to codependent there's a there's a 12-step program there's sex addicts you know 12-step uh, program there's codependence coda codependence anonymous and 
It's an incredibly complicated, complex addiction that exists. I hate these people who say, oh, no, it doesn't exist. You're just, you're mm. just a bad boy and all this kind of stuff. Now, mm. Which that... we would have said before we got the language around addiction, wouldn't we? We'd have said... Sorry, Absolutely, that's our post. That's, that, that's, oh, yeah, right, we're all sex addicts. But it's, that's a deep misunderstanding of actually yeah, what yeah. goes on. Isn't it? That said, though, I do think it's a tricky one because I think of all the things that we do... It's not to, I'm trying to... It's really hard to kind of choose your words around this because obviously drug addiction, alcohol addiction, they, of course they all impact those around you, but essentially the damage is being done to yourself first if you know what i mean whereas hang on mm. whereas the sex addiction thing i think a lot of people can use it who are who are badly behaved as an excuse mm. and you can't pretend that people don't use it like that that's not mm, to dismiss absolutely. people who have sex addiction but i think this is this the, the problem with sex addiction is where is that boundary where is that line between it becoming a profound disabling uh, addiction problem, and where is it a sort of uh, actually a con to kind of yeah. justify bad behaviour? I, I was I was I was a bit confused as well. Maybe only told us one thing that he'd he'd, he'd been unfaithful once. It sounds like, yeah. and that there's then the porn thing. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it's so complicated, isn't it, Mark? Sorry. Like loving an addict. Yes, because you won't get the support of anybody else. Because anybody that loves you is going to want to protect you and say, Absolutely. and of course, you're only 22, I think, mm, mm. and, you know, he wants this year of celibacy and he's asking you to wait. Mm. And I, I, as I was reading your, 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 your um, story, I was flipping from one side to the other because, of course, Mark and I, because I cherish our relationship so much, and my life would not be the life that I have if I if we didn't have this marriage. And, you know, Mark did have, you know, serious addictions that he's been sober from for 18 years. But it took a lot of work mm. for you, a lot of work and dedication mm. from you. Mm. And you'd had an awful lot of experiences and regrets before that mm. to feed into you being able to stay sober. So that's... So that's what I wanted to ask you, Mark. Is the age thing, the fact that he's only 22, reduce the chances of his sobriety massively, do you think? What do you mean? Sorry, I don't Well, that his you, chances would you to have get been, sober? Yeah, like yeah. he's trying, he's working so hard at all of this. Well, there's no guarantees he's going he's gonna to be able to stay sober, is there? You know, I, I'm not going to say what this person should or shouldn't yeah. do, but if it was my daughter in this relationship, yeah, I would, in whatever way was possible, encourage them to, I don't know what the terms are these days in Love Island, you know, get to a friend, get back to some kind of mutually respected, respectful friendship. Yeah. I would, and I would name it as such. I would say, look, sit down, say, look, we, I want to be friends. I love you. I like you. But it's got to be platonic. It's got to be yeah. uncomplicated. And that is a huge pressure on this person if, you know, if, if they love the person or are attracted mm. to the person as well. I mean, you know, we mustn't forget sometimes, you know, I, mean, I can think of someone who, despite 
the nature of the person they're obsessed with can't help but be attracted to them. And, and attraction is a thing, you know, being sort of yeah. finding someone alluring is a thing. But I, my advice to my daughter, and I, I often use this as a kind of, you know, <laughs> bellwether yeah. or benchmark, I would say get and define and state the terms of a friendship first. Mm. Given your ages, I would then say this guy, I presume, it has to take quite a considerable amount of time to work on themselves. Well, he said that he wants to be celibate but, for a year. A year, is, a year is nothing in the drop of addiction. But, but this is the very difficult thing as well, isn't it? Like you, you cannot have a drop of alcohol because one, uh, one is too much and a hundred is never enough. And it's rather like food addiction and sex addiction is so difficult because you have you 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 want absolutely. sex, you want food your whole life. And absolutely, and also so, you, it's like codependency. You, the, the difficulty I've never been to a more sort of disabling twelve-step program uh, meeting than than codependent codependence anonymous because of course everyone has relationships. We even even if they're not sexual relationships. So sex sex addiction is a really hard one. It's a really hard one because you know I, I I'm thinking of someone else who I've I've spoken to over the years who has had to you know, has spent something like seven years and talks about their cleanness in terms of their sobriety in terms of not having looked at pornography or have not having looked at anything like that. But them also saying that some of the triggers around uh, their addiction can be so many things that are permissible and permitted in society. So what I mean by that is over-sexual... Th imagine if, if your addiction or your drink is to or being sober from your addiction or drink is to not see images of sex. Mm. And then we live in a culture where outside of porn, yeah. it's everywhere. everywhere. So and so much. the triggering effect of seeing something like that or coming across it in a show or in a program or, you know, all that kind of stuff is really, really hard to mm. actually be abstinent. My advice still would be, you know, yeah, he wants to kind of do it, do it for a year. I, I just think, I think you need to be a friend to this person I think in some ways that will almost help you with those around you who love you because it will be then they will then see you as taking a sort of responsible self-caring mm. step mm. with him because I understand it every you know my first instinct will be right Christ okay well I'm sure he's got a problem I even believe in sex addiction <laughs> but actually just part that to the side because you're my child yeah. and actually I want to yeah. protect you and yeah. that's where they're coming from they're coming yeah. from a place of wanting to look after yeah. you they're not coming from a place of they actually want life like, to be easier yeah, yeah, yeah. And, for you and they mm. can see it's like your parents with me it would be preferable if you weren't with someone who was a raging addict mm. preferable but and so I would say that this is really important that you state it loud and proud both to him to your family and to yourself that this is definitively a friendship from here on in. And in some respects, you non-sexually, platonically hold his hand as he moves through his addiction. And I think at some point it might be worth going to, you know, further down the way, if you're thinking, well, you know what, we'd like to actually get closer to each other, go to a specialised couples counsellor of some form. You go to Al-Anon for all of the time in the interim. Al-Anon, which is for family and yeah, friends yeah, yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that I think... I, uh, you know, I think it's a good way to think of it, Mark. If our daughter was sat here mm. and the fact that he's very kind, mm. you know, kindness, there's not a lot of listening to yeah. our daughters in the dating scene. No. You know, there's not a lot of that about. Yeah. And to throw the baby out with the bathwater is what I'm hearing. You know, mm. yes, he's got this problem, but people can have all kinds of problems. I mean, Mark always says that everyone should do a 12 step program because oh, it God, makes yeah. us look, you know, none of us are perfect. But I mm. think I kind of agree with Mark, but I would tone it down a bit. And on that note, on that note, it's a really important point, which I don't think it's said enough, actually, and we don't say it enough across all of our platforms. Everyone 
everyone has compulsive, impulsive and excessive behaviour around countless things across their lives. I do think we fall foul of thinking someone is that, someone is this, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, look, I've used sex in my life in a way that I'm not proud of or that would have tipped over and was <laughs> tipping over into you know, some kind of fixing. What is any kind of addiction? It's about plugging something in yourself through the use of something else that that kind of takes you out of your head. And you can understand why, you know, the dopamine hit of sex, like drugs, like mm. alcohol, like even codependent relationships. Because codependency isn't about just being stuck to someone like a mollusk. It's about departure, avoidant, attachment, mm. avoidment. And so that toing and froing is the addiction. Sex, there's a more obvious sort of physical sense that in which it happens, but it's never enough. And And so... It's really important. So it makes it even more complicated, which is why I think he needs the time to work out how much of a problem he has, in a sense, and how what sort of you know treatment he needs. So I was saying, if it was if it was our daughter and we were sitting here, I would I would suggest exactly what Mark does, but I would pull back a bit from what Mark said because I would worry about you being a close friend that's holding the hand right. through no, this, maybe. because I think that could become. Mixed signals. Mixed signals for him. And, yeah. But I think, you know, if at this point you want to say you are really very meaningful to me, what I feel about I see a kind, a deeply kind person and I don't want to totally give up hope, but I have to protect myself and I have to give you room to get well and I'll be your friend. Um, very much like what Mark said. Maybe detach with compassion. Yeah, detach with compassion. But what I would also suggest is, I mean, maybe you've already done this, but to really, really investigate addiction, mm. read into it, look at it, go to some Al-Anon meetings, um, maybe even go to a sex addict meeting so you can hear the kind of... Can you go to them? They're open, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go to an yeah. open one mm. and you can hear the kind of stuff that people are going through. Um, but, yes, I, I, I just want to... I just want to validate your feelings about people just being too black and white about cheating. Mm. Because <clears throat> you can have an extremely good person that makes mistakes, mm. and yet we just have this blanket attitude to the mistake of infidelity. Yeah. And so, yeah, again, just our opinions, but that's a very complicated situation for you. And... I can hear you really deep thinking and very caring mm. person. And I think, you know, if, if what you say about his about him is true, there's a really good person in there as well. Mm, absolutely, him. absolutely. But you've also got to protect yourself too. Yeah. You know? Okay, so Shauna, how do I discuss my ADHD referral with my parents who only see ADHD as a reason for criticism? In the words of my sibling, you've coped this world before. What's the point if only you knew? It's not obviously what they said, it's what Shauna says. Yeah, if only you knew. Well, <clears throat> for those who might be a new listener, both Mark and I have ADHD. I've had a fairly recent diagnosis. I don't know what it is now, six months or so? Maybe not even as much as that. Mm. And um, it has been a life-changing um, experience for me. But just specifically to the referral, I think... We have this, I had this real need to, after I'd had my diagnosis, to make everybody understand. Mm. I just, or like, oh, if I was this, when I, and, and I'm sorry if da, 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 and it might be because of this. And then I realised that this isn't going to be as important to anyone else as it is going to be to you and those very close, very, very close to you. I found 
with my family as well that there wasn't any real interest in it. Um, enough, but not much. And I felt a bit sad about that at the beginning. And then I just thought, no, everybody's getting on with their life. So really, I suppose my, my advice, well, my thoughts on this is just don't expect too much from people. Mm. And if you know that somebody is going to be a bit dismissive of it, don't have the conversation with them. Because it hurts, actually, when somebody is dismissive. Mm. It hurts. So if you come from a family that's like, oh, you know, oh, mental health, a load of navel-gazing, you're not going to change that. No. In, in a minute. No. You know, so this is just your referral. So get your referral out of the way. Um, get your diagnosis one way or the other. And if you are diagnosed with ADHD, spend that time for you. And that's what I realised was actually better for me. Do your research. I mean, I'm just an overshare. I tend to want to share about everything. Do your research. Read. Really, it's fascinating to find this stuff out about yourself mm. and, like, have those moments. Find the people that are interested and do want to converse back with you. And those that don't, that's that's actually okay. You know, people have got a lot of stuff stuff going on and you're not really going to change anybody's minds. I mean, there's a real feeling out there as well. There's a lot of stuff in the press. Oh, what, has everybody got ADHD? Oh, why don't just celebrities shut up about ADHD? Everyone's too aware these days, which, of course, I think is totally ridiculous. Um, but you will come across a lot of that. So make this, like, just almost like an enriching of your own relationship with yourself. I think it's interesting, though, because I think that phrase that your sibling, Shauna, says, you've coped this well before what's the point i kind of it's it, so it, painful so painful it, it kind of well no but it goes towards the idea of kind of if it ain't broke don't fix it you know why navel gaze like i say mm. why explore why do we want to go into it and i mean i can have some sympathy with that having gone through almost every conceivable form of therapy and diagnosis it feels and like nadia says i'm diagnosed adhd2 bipolar 2 it used to be manic depression addiction you know i mean bloody hell you know you go through all of those things and you do you know you can get a little world weary even as someone who's who's had all sorts of referrals and diagnoses and all that kind mm. of stuff but when push comes to shove how can you ever be too aware you can't be too aware and i think as nadia says this is for you I think if you've got people around you, and I've seen it firsthand, <clears throat> who don't get mental health issues mm. and don't want to get mm. mental health issues, you know what the only way you can possibly nudge them into some kind of acknowledgement is if you go for your referral, you do what's suggested, you may end up on medication, you may do some kind of therapeutics as well. They may see change and you draw their attention to that change further yeah. down the way. Because if they say you've coped this well before, your line to your sibling could be, I want to cope even better, you know. So it's kind of like, I, I think the proof will be in the pudding. And I think rather than feeling almost crushed or disappointed by their opinion, sort of feel enabled and emboldened and mm. think, you know what, I'm going to do this for myself. And you know what, if this goes a different route and I, I improve and it helps me with this, they'll see. They'll see that it was... I think it's important to, like, sit with it for a minute that you're hurt and say, I'm hurt, mm. you know, and this doesn't feel nice. And I can think of many occasions with my family or friends or through my life where when people have just dismissed my feelings, it hurt. Sit with that mm. for a bit. Mm. It's not about saying, 
oh, well, I shouldn't feel that, sit with it and then take action. Because the best thing that you can do when somebody doesn't see you is to have success, is to move forward with yourself. But I think it's a good point what, what Mark makes there, is that actually this is indicative of what so many think people think about any mental health challenges, yeah, 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 which yeah. is you're coping, all right? Yeah. We don't want to just cope. We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. Exactly. And, and I think that's, that's, that's the line. Um, final one. This is anonymous. Um, hi, I'm a quiet sub. We love you quiet subs. I would so appreciate your thoughts and advice. I met a guy through a friend and we dated for three months. It was like a roller, roller coaster. He did many strange things. He would not come to mine, always met at his. He'd go silent for days on end, tried to throw money at me, not literally, and was generally hard work. I ended it a few times, but took him back as we seemed to work through problems. He told me his fiance of nine years before had died and I was the first woman since her. So this was a big reason I was so patient with him. Eventually I had enough, I ended it for good. He'd been living at his, the other end of the country of the Christmas period, and had been saying for two weeks he was heading back to me. He let me down so, he let me down, so after a long chat and him promising me the world, even asking to move in together, which I said no to, I gave him another chance and two weeks later he let me down again. I ended it telling him it was a toxic relationship, etc, etc. So a week later, me and someone we mutually knew got a text from his sister <clears throat> saying he had taken his own life. Mm. I was obviously devastated. Anyway, here is the unbelievable part. My clever daughter smelt a rat and did some digging. Turns out he wasn't dead at all. He being the one, sorry, mm -hmm. to text that awful message, the police actually confirmed he was alive too, as I was able to give them his car reg number. Unbelievable. Also, the dead fiancé was alive. I remembered the name of her and a story of someone in his hometown had died and he had attached it himself to that story. I could not believe his intention was for me to go through life thinking I'd played a part in someone's suicide. An obvious psychopath, I hear you say. This all happened two years ago. However, I still get my, can't get my head around it and he even pops into my dreams. Mm. I have no love for this scumbag, but finding it hard to trust again. Mm. I was single for eight years before I met him, so think that impacted me too. Sorry for the essay. Any advice would be gratefully received. I mean... It's not an essay and thank you for no, sharing it. When I read this last night, horrific. I was literally Horrifying for you. So look, I mean, the first thing to say that <clears throat> in terms of advice, I mean, I'm, I'm presuming advi the advice is on how to deal with the kind of, you know, the, the ramifications and the, the, the ripple well, effect of that. Well, it's asking how do you trust again? Well, yeah, well, so I mean, the one thing you, you probably need to hear just from the get-go is that is an extreme story. That is an extreme example of deceit, um, maliciousness, uh, you know, a sort Psychopathic of psychopathy, sociopathy. I mean, you know, so the first thing I would guess, I always use the example if it was my daughter, the first thing you have to do, and I have to say is, you're absolutely right to have had whatever traumatic response you've had to this. Because often society and the most, I mean, even when you sort of think of police with, and the, you know, rape cases, it's all about button it up, push it away, mm. hide it, don't worry, don't feel it. And sometimes that can come from a very well-meaning perspective of don't feel anything about this. It's, it's No, feel it. That's mm. okay. That, that, that is an incredible... I can't actually believe that story. It's, it's Well, you know, there's a whole series... There's a podcast, a whole series. I think it's called Dirty Rats on BBC. You might be interested in it. BBC Podcasts. And it's just one story after another like mm. this. People are just disgusting, just appalling 
to put you through that. I mean, let's just pause for a second that you thought he'd committed suicide mm. after you'd, mm. you know, finished with him. It's just horrific. And um, I'm really glad that you don't in anywhere in there say that you feel silly. Because listening to this series that I have on, on the BBC, you know, all these women said they felt so silly. Mm. They felt... Mm like stupid naive. that they believed him, naive, all these things. I don't know whether you have felt that and you just haven't put it in, but I just wanted to say, if you do, you are victim-shaming yourself mm. because this is... You are a victim of an appalling human being and they are very manipulative, these people. Um, he's, you know, in my opinion, he sounds like a complete psychopath. And a psychopath is able to say anything and perform brilliantly mm -hmm. to to act, mm -hmm. you know. It, it, so how do you move on from this? That's That's incredibly difficult. I mean, you say that you haven't had a relationship for two years. Well, you're licking your wounds and you are caring for yourself, hopefully, and you are nurturing yourself. Pull the people closer to you that you do trust. Even if it's just one friend, even if it's just one family member, keep them close to you. Remind yourself of the good people out there because the world, I mean, my family here, Mark and the girls get really frustrated with me when I say there's more good people than bad. And I follow a lot of Instagram accounts with amazing stories of the people that are good out there because it's almost like you have to fix that. That it's, it's like it's gone at you with an axe, really, in a way, isn't it? Into shattered sort of any chance of you of you trusting somebody. But it is possible. But also, what I would want to say is, we are a couples obsessed society, and. If you are perfectly happy, a few weeks ago we had a problem come in, didn't we, where this woman was saying she was really happy and her son was just desperate mm, for her to have a partner. partner. You know, if you decide that actually, you know, you weren't with anyone for eight years before that and then this... Actually, if you decide, do you know what? I just want to build a single life, pull more friends towards me, find more friends, and maybe if that's the way to go, and then if somebody pops up, if somebody does pop up, then that and it feels right, then you go for it. I think you have a great instinct because you said right at the beginning he was doing some strange things. Mm. And I remember recently saying to somebody that's having a bit of a problem with somebody that they're seeing, I said, sit down and write a list of the red mm. flags. Mm. And they said to me, apparently, sitting down to write a list of the red, red flags flag. means there's a great big red <laughs> flag somewhere. So it is about yeah. listening to those red flags, really taking your time. If you do meet somebody else, mm. say, I am not going to get involved with anyone till I've been a friend with them for years. I have to meet their family. I have yeah. to... It's OK for you to put in boundaries. I mean, I would also say that, you know, you, you, anyone who's gone through what you've gone through will have experienced... You've experienced trauma. trauma. So yeah. you, you would be well... It would be well worth you looking into some kind of PTSD therapy because, you know, that that beyond him physically hurting you, that is abusive on an absolutely sensationally mm. awful scale, you know, because... And then, of course, so, that, so that's one sort of... what that you used to dream you about him Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. What could yeah. you do that could potentially sort of quite not quickly, but directly attend to the damage that he's done to you. He hasn't, he hasn't used a, a, you know, a sort of a weapon. He hasn't hit you, but he has really, really damaged and hurt you. But in terms of the trust issues, I, th I mean, the only thing I would say with this, again, if I'm thinking if my daughter had come out of this and sort of revealed this to me and she'd been hiding it and everything, 
My first thought would be, yes, it's going to take you time to trust again. Therapy is, you know, I know, I know it always seems like a catch or going to therapy of some form, but I do think you're going to need some kind of therapeutic landing gear here to kind of come mm -hmm. back down to earth because this is this is very, very unusual, very extreme. And at the same time, something that Nadia often says, I think would be really important here. As you step to, and if you feel yourself stepping to or wanting to step towards a new relationship of any form, I would really advise you not at the beginning to share with whoever that is the extent to which mm -hmm. you've gone through this. Because, you know, inadvertently and indirectly and, you know, sort of subtly, it sends out a message to people. And I think in a sense, you need your, this is where you need your friends and you need your family to kind of protect you a bit. It's not about not telling someone you love in the future what you've gone through, mm. but don't let it be the thing because it's the it's most fresh in also, your you mind. Also, you don't want to be the thing that heart. defines you. And you don't want yeah. it to be the thing that defines you. And also, you don't want it also to be the kind of thing that not attracts the same thing, but you just don't want to put it out there. It's like Nadia often says to our girls, don't tell them all your weaknesses. Don't tell them all well, the things. Weaknesses, that, not weaknesses, but you hurts. know, all your yeah. hurts and all the behavior that sort of happened to you because you just don't want to leave yourself in any way vulnerable. Yeah. With your vulnerabilities, yeah, I suppose, yeah. is the yeah. best word. But um, absolutely, wow. And can we could just give you a virtual hug? Absolutely. Because Bloody that hell. is a lot. Yeah. And maybe check out that Dirty Rats podcast mm. when you'll hear other women's stories. And mm. I wonder if there are any groups for people that have been cheated mm. to in this way, because sometimes just talking to other people. Mm. Through, and also it's okay, as Mark says, I think it's a really good point, not not to expose your vulnerabilities to somebody in a new relationship. But also, it's also okay to say, you know, not everything in my relationship's past has been great, so I have some clear boundaries. Yeah. So I don't not see somebody's home, and I don't not meet the yeah. person's friends, and yeah. that's okay to say that. I also finally just think, you know, in a weird way, well, not in a weird way, in an obvious way, that's, it, that's coercive control and gaslighting to an extraordinary mm. level. So there may be some benefit in talking to a sort of women's crisis group or refuge yeah. because they deal with the behaviours of coercive control, control as much yeah. as sort of, you know, domestic violence. So they might be able to help you with some strategies for kind of coping with it. And can I just do this one last one? This is from Alex. I lost my sister in December 2021 and then my father in July 2022 to cancer. My sister was not old. I feel my father passed away from a broken heart. I'm still here. I'm the youngest of four and I feel really numb. All I want to say on this is this just felt like this was the right moment because I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who, when she lost her mother, she'd been to all kinds of different counsellors and she said she went to Cruise which is a charity that helps with bereavement. And she said it made such an enormous difference. So, you know, we are not qualified to help directly with grief counselling, but I just wanted to say that. And for anybody else, check out Cruise, because this friend of mine had an amazing experience with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. And it's just, just awful for you. So um, sending big love. And to everyone that sent in um, yeah, thank you. Their, their problems, thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's a real yeah. honour to share with yeah. us these things that are just that yeah. have just been huge in your life. Yeah, and I hope we've been of some use. I mean, as we say, I think it's quite useful. I always plop myself into the position of, as a caring dad, what would I say to my children? I mean, I do that sometimes in my life where I perhaps have done something which I'm not comfortable with or have said something. I think, well, hang on a minute, how would you feel if that was said to your daughter? Do you know what I mean? It's it's quite mm -hmm. a good sort of filter to push stuff through, which is kind of what I think we do here. So, But, yeah, thank you for, in a sense, sharing with us your vulnerabilities. So. Sending lots of love to you all.